Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com. Um, and you can turn over to the book of Ephesians, is where we're going to be this morning, over in the New Testament, Ephesians. And by the way, I haven't said this in a while, but if you are with us today and you don't have a Bible, you don't have one at home or in the car or anywhere, you don't own a Bible, then this one is our gift to you. When you leave today, take it with you. Um, we love, it. and then don't just take it, but read it. Um, it's it's important. And so, if you don't have one, then you take this one as a, as our gift. Now, if you have twenty at home, leave the, leave that one here. All right, okay. They always want another one. No, if you got 20 at home, leave that one here. Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing in this series, Custom Made Calling. Last week as we started chapter 4, we turn a corner. First three chapters of Ephesians about the riches that we have in Christ. The next three chapters where we began in 4, 4, 5, and 6 are going to talk about what does that look like in the church. The riches in Christ and kind of the responsibilities of the church. uh, How He wants us to take and not only believe those truths that we studied in, in the first three chapters, but live them out. Live them out in daily life with one another and with others. We, he starts chapter 4, as we saw, and we're going to be focusing on verses 4 through 6 this week, but last week as we started, he mentioned again the fact that he's a prisoner for the Lord. Uh, it's the third time that Paul has introduced himself as a prisoner. He makes it really clear because he's writing this from house arrest. He's in Rome. Um, He is under constant surveillance by a Roman guard, whether actually chained to them or just in the same room. We do not know. There's different beliefs on that. But he was under 24-hour surveillance, and his liberty obviously very much restricted. But he makes it very clear that he's not there because of Caesar. He's not there because of the Jews. He's not there because, you know, the political system is all messed up. He is there as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. He's there because Christ put him there and wants him there. And we've talked about that several times as we've gone through this. There's something else that I want to share with you. And this has been on my heart all week. And I've been prayerful about how to share it with you because I don't want it to come across in a mean way or a harsh way, but simply as a truthful, real way. Paul is writing as a prisoner and there's a seriousness to what he's saying. Because when when you're in prison, when your liberty is restricted, when you are confined in the way that Paul is, you really get down to priorities and what's really important. And so as he's writing this, he's wanting us to know this is very, very serious. Don't take this lightly. Don't be apathetic about this. Now, here's the challenge that we have as American Christians. And this is true. It may be true in other places, but I can't speak to that. I can only speak to American Christianity. But American Christianity, by its very nature, is apathetic. It is entertainment-saturated, It is self-focused and whiny by its very nature. That is American Christianity. And if you and I are not intentional, we will be apathetic, entertainment-focused, saturated, really, self-focused, whiny believers. It's not a question of, oh, I don't want to be that. If we're not intentionally going the other way, we are that. Because that's the culture. 
That's where we are. That's what church has become in the United States. You say, Troy, that's very, that's very pessimistic. I don't, I don't mean it to be pessimistic. Matter of fact, I'm very encouraged by what I see God doing. But it is a reality. And part of the calling I realize that I have is at times to be able to sound that trumpet, to sound that clarion call. And I'm recognizing more and more, not just in others, I see it in my own life. This apathy that just moves in. This, this comfort, entertainment, amusement, saturated life that we want and that we seek and that we give a lot of thought and attention to. The self-focus, which causes us to whine, quite honestly. We just whine, whiners. You say, are you trying to say this lovingly? I am. I really am trying to say this lovingly. And I'm not pointing at fingers at you because I'm in the same boat. If we don't want to be that, we're going to have to be intentional. That's what Paul is saying in the book of Ephesians. If you don't want to be that, you'll have to be intentional. Because in the culture we're in, that's the natural progression. That's where we end up. It's normal. It's normative. And quite honestly, it's expected. Paul's got a different way. Remember, we looked at it in the beginning of chapter 4 last week when he talks about us endeavoring to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's in chapter 4. And I believe verse 2, as he begins talking about this. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then he's going to go into, verses 4 through 6, this unshakable truth that causes us to know that we're supposed to do the things in the first three verses, that we're supposed to have this humility and gentleness and this patience and tolerance or forbearance with one another, all of it surrounded in love. He says that is supposed to take place, but that the truth in the first three verses is often subjective. The, the next three verses, four through six, is objective. You say, wait a second, Troy, isn't truth truth? Do you understand the difference between objective and subjective? Truth. I mean, in just plain definition of those words, objective truth simply means that it can be verified by outside sources. It is not subject to the bias or opinions or experiences of one individual, but it can be verified by other people. It's objectively true. The sun rises in the east. That's objective truth. It's not based on how I feel. I feel like today it should rise in the northwest. All right doesn't matter how I feel. Objective truth. It rises in the east. It sets in the west. That's objective. That's what Paul's going to get into in 4 through 6. But the first three is more subjective. How do we know what humility looks like? Or gentleness? Or patience? Or forbearance and tolerance? Much of that runs through the grid of who we are as individuals because subjective truth is that which is based on an individual and their opinions, their experiences, their life. There's a phrase that's used often. It bugs me a lot, but I hear it everywhere in our culture today, and that is this phrase, my truth or your truth. Whatever just happened to the truth? Your truth, my truth. 
that very phrase is subjective. That's what it is. That's subjective. In other words, it's a subjective belief. This is my truth. I believe this to be true based on my experiences, based on what I've gone through. This is what is true. That's subjective. Paul says, I want to give you some objective truth. I want you to see this. Look verse 4 with me. There is one body, one church, and it's not LifePoint Church. It's just one church. It's not Calvary Chapel. It's not First Melbourne. It's not Covenant Pres. It's not Holy Trinity. It's not an Episcopal church. It's not a charismatic church. It's not a Baptist church. It's not a Methodist church. It's just one church, one body, one body of Jesus Christ. This is really, really important to understand. Because again, a part of American Christianity has often been we take sides based on our church culture, our church denomination, whatever it might be. There is one body. This is highly significant. Someone asked me recently. See, labels. Whether you know it or not, I do do guard my words, all right? I don't say everything that pops in my mind because right now I'm having a conversation with myself. (laughs) Do I actually say this or not? Um... There are all kinds of division, man-made divisions within the body of Christ. But with Jesus, there are no divisions. It is simply His body. One body. Now that body operates, as a matter of fact, in this body, in this local body right here, this part of God's body, we have many different church backgrounds. Just in this room, we have folks who grew up Southern Baptist and some grew up, you know, independent Baptist or missionary Baptist or some grew up independent fundamental Bible believing King James only Baptist or, um, you know, and a few more things that we put on the sign. We've got some folks under the term charismatic. I don't like that term because it just simply means grace or gifts. I believe in grace and gifts. So that makes me a charismatic. All right. So I don't like labels, but we have those Typically, we fall more in the Pentecostal assembly of God. You know, those that that vein uh, of the body of Christ. We have those who grew up Catholic in here. We have those who grew up Episcopalian and Lutheran. We have those who grew up Nutton. All right. They went to the church of Nutton. All right. We have all kinds in here. We are one body. One body. Can we disagree? On certain things, absolutely we can. We're still one body. He says, you're one body. And notice what he says next. One spirit. One body united by the Holy Spirit. One spirit. The spirit of God. It's not multiple spirits. There's one spirit. The Holy Spirit. There are other spirits. <laughs> There's only one. When it comes to the church, there's only one. There's only one we want to submit to, be filled with. That's the Holy Spirit. He says, one, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. 
There's one hope that you have. See, this is an interesting picture to me. If two of us were running for the same office, let's say it's a high school political office or maybe it's a regular political office, you know, we're running for school board or whatever, and there were two of us running for the same office, one of us has to lose in order for the other to have their hopes fulfilled, but both hoped for the same office. Do you understand what I'm saying? That in most things in our life, if two people hope for the same thing, they both can't have it. But here, Jesus says, there's one hope among you all and you all get it. Everybody gets it. What is that hope? That hope is that Jesus is everything that he says he is and that we are in him and that we have an eternal rest that is ours. We have all of these promises for when we die and for all of eternity, but we also have a hope for this abundant living now because of him. And it's available to all. I don't have to beat Lori out so that I can have it. All right. Because you know me, I'm competitive. I would if I had to. All right. I'm kidding. Sort of. <laughs> She'd let me win. That's because she's that's just the way she is. My kids know that. All through life when they're playing games, if they want to win, they get their mother to play with them. I say, if you play with me, I'm playing to win. Well, Dad, you should let us win. No, I'm not letting you win. You win, you win it honestly. All right? So she's got that, she's got that heart. I just want everybody to win. So she'd give it to me. But here's the thing. The Lord says, you don't have to fight over it. It's available to all. One doesn't have to lose, and so another one can have. See, we think of it as a pie, and there are only so many pieces. He says, no, it's an eternal flow. It's a river without end, without limits, without banks. And the source never runs out. One hope. So one body, one spirit, one hope. He goes on. He says... One Lord, it's only one Jesus, one Lord, one Master, everybody all submitting to Him. One faith. Now that's interesting, one faith. Some would say, okay, that means we have to subscribe to the same set of doctrines and we should all subscribe to the same set of doctrines because there's one faith. There's great debate over this. I don't believe that's what this means here. And, and there are smarter people than me who've argued it for a long time. But looking at this and looking at other places in Scripture, there is one means of being in this body of having Jesus as Lord, and it is by faith. There is one faith, and it's necessary for all. You must come by faith. You can't come any other way. So when the Scripture here says, and I believe it's, it's saying there's one faith, there's only one way in, by faith. It's one faith. It's one way. This is difficult in our day because we want to say there are many ways. Well, one religion is as good as another. Unfortunately, if I'm going to believe Christianity, then I can't say that, that one religion is as good as another. It may be good for what it produces, but the Scripture itself, Jesus Himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father. Nobody has relationship with the Father. Nobody comes into this life eternal that I offer. Nobody has the forgiveness of sins. Nobody has life everlasting and abundantly unless they come through me. I can't go through Buddha. I can't go through Muhammad. I can't go through, I can't go through any other means. One faith. The only way in is by faith. One Lord one faith, one baptism. 
What were we baptized into? Now again, this it's amazing how we argue over stuff. Because some would say, one baptism and it has to be this kind of baptism. It doesn't say that here. It says one baptism. It doesn't say one baptism by immersion or one baptism by sprinkling or one baptism with squirt gun. It doesn't say, alright? It says one baptism. But we fight over it. Now here, we believe we baptize by immersion. Matter of fact, on the 4th of July, we will do that again. If you're, if you if you follow Jesus Christ and have never publicly proclaimed that by baptism, we invite you to be part of that. And we do that by immersion. We believe that's a biblical way to do it. But that doesn't mean that my Presbyterian brother over here who baptized by sprinkling, that they're not part of it. They're not part of the family. No. One baptism. Because what are we saying with baptism? We are saying that I am no longer mine. I've been bought with a price and I follow Jesus Christ. That's what I'm saying. One baptism. We fight too much over this stuff. Can we have differences of opinion? Absolutely. One God, verse 6, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is saying this is objective truth. It doesn't change. This isn't subjective. It isn't how you feel. It isn't based on your experiences. This is truth. It can be substantiated by any number of people looking and it does not change based on your feelings at the moment. All of these truths mean, according to the Apostle Paul and according to the Holy Spirit who's inspiring him, that you and I as the body have a responsibility to eagerly, diligently maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I want you to notice something about it. It says maintain. That word by its very connotation tells us it's already established, right? We're not creating the unity. But look with me, if you've got your Bibles, look down in verse 13. In the same chapter, chapter 4, verse 13. I want you to notice what he says here. Until we all until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, that sounds like it's something we're attaining, we're, we're growing in, right? But in verse 3, it says we are to maintain it. It sounds as though it's something we already have and we're supposed to maintain it. We're supposed to protect it. You say, well, which is it? It's another one of those situations. Yes, it's both. We already have it. So we are to maintain it, but it's also something that we're growing in. We're not perfect in it yet. We're not perfect in our unity. But we have already received it. I know that. You know it. Go back with me to chapter 2. Just go back a couple chapters. Same book, chapter 2. Look with me in verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. You were out there, now you're up close. There's a union in that. By the blood of Christ, verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one. There's a unity there. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. There's a unity there. In place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, 
thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus at the cross already created the unity. He died and he paid for it. And he said, if you're in me, I created you who were far off. I brought in you who thought you were closer. I brought you in too. And I've made one. You're one. There's a unity. Now, here's the challenge with this passage. I could stop right now. Everything I've told you is true. But that's not the hard part. The hard part is what do we do with that truth? What is it supposed to look like? We, we amen. Yeah, there's one body, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit, one faith. Yeah, amen. Preach it, brother. Now let's go home and on the way out, let's not talk to somebody because they hurt my feelings last week. That's not what he's talking about. See, here's the challenge with this. Is that this unity? There's two things. These are two takeaways. I'll give you these two things, and then I'm going to quit. All right, we're done for today. Two things. Number one, stop confusing unity and sameness. Stop confusing unity and sameness, because they're not. They're not the same. We are by nature, and we're going to have to overcome this. We are by nature prone to be with sameness. I want somebody who looks like me, who thinks like me, who enjoys the same things that I enjoy, who basically agrees with me. I want sameness. I believe that that makes good. I need them to be the same age. So if I'm a certain age, I need some others who are my age. Now that's not bad. It's not wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't have people our own age. I'm saying that's not unity, that's sameness. You say, I need somebody who's at the same place in life. I need marrieds without children as opposed to marriage with children because it's a whole different ballgame. And it is a whole different ballgame. Once you have children, everything's a different ballgame. All right? Life is different. It is never the same. Not in a bad way. It just changes. And then you get to be middle-aged and you're at a different point of that change and stage so i need other people like me at that and then i get older i need more people like me and then i get really old and i need i don't i don't like any of the rest of you i just need people like me and you know and one of the things i'm looking forward to i so loved it it probably embarrassed bob carp to no end but i loved his dad at the memorial because i want to be 82 years old and just say what i want to say all right i'm looking forward to that day i can just say it you know when you're 82, you don't have to worry about it or figure out. Just say it. And I love that. It was, it was, it was beautiful, although it probably embarrassed Bob. Um, and so th- we, we look at these things and say, I, we want sameness. The Lord says, I want unity, not sameness. Sameness isn't bad. But I'll tell you something. In my life, I've grown as much or more with differences than I have with sameness. I've been challenged more by the people who challenge me. And they're not like me. Most of you are married to somebody that fits that description. They're not like you. If they were like you, one of you's unnecessary. 
Sameness and unity are not the same thing. Three times, three different ways that Paul illustrates this idea of unity in the book of Ephesians. He talks about an army. An army is moving toward a common goal. They have certain things in common, but they are not near about the same. They're different sizes and shapes and abilities and backgrounds, all kinds of stuff. So he talks about this. He talks about the human body. And he says the human body is united. It's one. It has one life. We understand this now in recent years more than ever before because of DNA. We understand that your body has one life. But it has all kinds of... Matter of fact, there is no two parts of your body that are alike. Even your fingers are not alike. We call them all fingers, but they're not the same. They all look different. They function differently. They have different purposes. They're not the same. But they're one. And God help us if they're not function as one. That's a problem, right? One body... And then the other illustration that Paul uses in Ephesians is the church. And he says, hey, one life, the life of Christ, everything else about us is different. Everything. We're not the same. We're different. We don't look at life the same way. We don't have the same experiences, the same background. Stop confusing unity and sameness. If you are looking for sameness, I believe personally it will stunt you in your growth with the Lord. If that's all you want is sameness. I have been challenged most as a pastor and as a person by the people who years ago I probably wouldn't have even had a conversation with because I thought they were in error. But I have grown, I've changed, not in the sense that I agree with everything they say, but I've been challenged. To actually get before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to see in this? So number one, don't confuse unity and sameness. Some of you are looking for sameness and the Lord's calling us to unity. By the way, one more little thought on that before I leave it. That doesn't mean that you can't enjoy certain activities where people enjoy the same thing. Okay, I'm not telling you, you've got to disown everybody who likes what you like, all right? I'm not saying that. You can do that. You know, if you like to get together and play Monopoly, God bless you. I'm not joining you, but God bless you, all right? You don't have to stop doing it because you enjoy doing it. I'm simply saying, the Scripture is simply saying, that's not unity, that's sameness. That's just a common, we're, we're kind of gathered around a common thing that we like. But where real growth, where you really see the power of God is when you find things that are so dissimilar and yet they're drawn together because they have the same life. There's power in that. Here's the second thing, the second takeaway. We're not to focus so much on trying to create unity as we are in trying to operate in peace. All right? We're not supposed to spend so much time trying to create unity. What man normally does is we try to unify people around a common goal. Because we think we get a lot of people together moving in the same direction, we can get something done. So I need to get petitions. I need to get a lot of people doing whatever it might be. I can get a lot of people standing on the street corner protesting this. Or I need to get a lot of people to call congressmen. Right? Nothing wrong with that. That's simply how the world does it. All right? The Lord says, when I talk about unity, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't want you to focus so much on trying to get people together as it is to operate in a spirit of peace. 
You say, are you just making that up? No, I am not just making it up. Look with me. Verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity. I'm eager to do this. I'm eager to maintain what God has already created. But how do I do it? In the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I want to see this unity that takes place by the Spirit. But it happens in peace. So what I'm really eager about, what I'm really alert to, is the absence of peace. Whether I'm creating it or someone else is creating the absence of peace. If we're bickering, there is no peace. If we're bitter, there is no peace. If we're unforgiving, there is no peace. You say, Troy, you don't know what they did. I get it. I probably don't. But I promise you that what they did to you was not nearly as bad as what we have done to Jesus. I promise you. I don't know what they did. But it's not, it doesn't even come close to what we have done to Jesus. What he says here is I have called you to one body so that you can impact the world out there of people who actually see you and also the world out there that we cannot see. That's what we learned in the last chapter. But you cannot do that if there isn't peace. There must be peace. Not superficial, not man-made peace. This peace that God gives because I trust Him. Now notice what He says in verse 2. We looked at this last week. With all humility and gentleness. Something stood out to me as I look back through these. Humility is the quality. Gentleness is how it's expressed. Humility. With all humility. In other words, I'm not thinking about me. You know, most of my problems in my life have been caused, I mean, 90% at least, maybe more, of the problems in my life have been caused when I'm looking at me. I don't know about you, but it's probably the same for you. At least 90% of my problems have been caused because I was looking at me. Humility says, I'm not looking at me. Actually, I'm looking at Jesus. That's who I'm looking at. I'm receiving from him. I'm believing what he says. I'm believing that I can forgive no matter what by His power. I'm believing that I don't have to be bitter. I'm believing that I can be healed on the inside so that I don't feel so wretched about myself. I believe that. That He can do that. As a matter of fact, I believe it so much I will settle for nothing less. Nothing less. That's why we did what we did this morning. Because part of what's often missing in our life is we're trying to find the answer and the answer is found in a person, not in more information. It's found in a, re, in a realness with Jesus. Humility is expressed in gentleness. So if we're not gentle in how we deal with people, if we're abrasive or harsh in the way that we deal with people, then the Lord wants to work more on the humility aspect. Because gentleness comes out of it. The same is true for the next pair. The next pair, he says, patience or long-suffering, depending on your Bible. But then he says, 
forbearance or tolerance. That's a byproduct of patience. You say, well, I want to be patient. Well, here's what, here's what patience looks like. I'm willing to endure other people. You say, endure? Did you misspeak? No, I didn't. That's another translation of it. That word there could be translated, that forbearance, or talk, it could be translated endurance. Sometimes we have to endure with one another. You ever been on a long car ride with children? You have endured. But so have they. They've had to endure as well. Sometimes we endure all of it because of love. All of it because of love. Last Lori, I want you to come play. And as she's coming, don't mistake unity and sameness. Don't get them confused. And instead of trying to create unity, create groups, what if we focused on living in peace? You know what I've found about people who live in peace? They never seem to have a shortage of groups because they'll fit in any group because they're peacemakers. Because peace resides. They, because they live daily encountering the Prince of Peace. And you say, well, I want that, but I also would like some justice, Troy. Okay. I get it. I do get it. When I preach to you, I've had to preach to me a whole lot more than to you. I want justice. I want it right. That's not right. I want it right. I get a little older and the Holy Spirit does a little more in me and I get more and more to the point where I just want to live daily in the presence of the Prince of Peace. And I'm going to let Him sort all the rest of it out. He said that wasn't right. They were wrong in what they did. I'm not doubting you. I'm just asking you, wouldn't it be easier just to pursue peace by the power of the Spirit? Maybe you've lived without peace for so long you think, I don't even know what that's like. Let me tell you, it's awesome. It's awesome. I don't always stay there. Matter of fact, I can get bumped out of it easier than I like to admit. But I don't want to stay away from it very long because I realize, oh, that peace, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to live. I want to be bound up. The bonds of peace. I want to be bound up in peace. We quoted it this morning as we were praying. It's such a great verse when we start talking about peace. Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, what's included in anything and everything? 
Everything, right? Everything's included in anything and everything. Don't worry about anything. Leaves nothing out. In everything, by prayer and supplication, just come to Jesus and say, Lord, this bugs the snot out of me. I mean, that may not be how you talk to Jesus, but I do. You know, one of the greatest freedoms in my life came the day I realized I don't have to pretend with him. He doesn't want me to pretend. I don't have to act spiritual. He doesn't, he's not impressed. He died on a cross and rose from the grave. You think he's impressed with our spirituality? No, he's not. He wants you to be real. Lord, I don't like this. I don't like them. I don't, you know, I don't know what to do with all of this. But Lord, what I want most of all is I want to encounter you and be at peace no matter what. That's what I want. Either he can do that or he's a liar. And I don't believe he's a liar. He is the Prince of Peace. You say, well, Troy, I haven't experienced all of it. I get that. I haven't experienced it all yet either. But what I have tasted makes me long for more. So I'm going to just keep going. And when I get bumped off course, I'm going to come back. Last couple weeks have been that way for me. I've been easily bumped off course the last couple weeks. Situations and things people do irritated me. Sometimes I voice that irritation to my dear bride. She just smiles and remains quiet. Which sometimes makes me more upset. <laughs> she should agree with me. But I know what she's doing. She's doing what she knows I'm going to eventually do, which is sit down with the Lord. Instead of griping to her, I'm going to sit down with the Lord and say, Lord, why is this bothering me so much? And He's going to show me. He's going to speak to it. And he's going to say, I'll take that if you want. If you'll let it go, I'll take it. I'm not going to wrestle you for it, but I'll take it if you want. <laughs> Lord Jesus, help us. Help us. As we continue on in this book, this is where the rubber meets the road. It's all been nice in theory up to this point. But Lord, this is where it really matters. And how we respond to you, how we respond to each other, what goes on inside us. We are one. That's, a, that's an objective truth, Lord. It's a reality. I also know, Jesus, that in John 17, you prayed that we would be one, even as you and the Father are one. So Lord, even though it's objective truth, we're still growing in it. So Lord, I thank you that you prayed for us way back then, and you're still praying for us today that we would get this. And so Lord, we're agreeing with you. We're joining you in prayer today. We want to walk in peace and unity. Not sameness, but unity. Lord, teach us to be swift to hear, 
slow to speak and slow to get angry. Teach us how to do that. Lord, do a work deep within of humility by your spirit that then operates in gentleness. And Lord, a work of patience deep within that operates in endurance and tolerance. Lord, cause us to recognize that you're not asking us to do for others what you haven't already done for us. This is what you do for us. But some of us have not seen that. We've not grown up with it. We've not seen it in families. We've not seen it in churches. We've not, Lord, we don't know that's who you are. So, Lord, open our eyes and let us see. Let's see. Sometimes we're just operating on what, the only thing that we know. I pray for each one here. And the burdens and the hurts. I pray, Jesus, that you would meet them. That they take time just to be with you. They just open up and say, here it is, Lord, here's the mess. I can't do anything with it. I need you. And Lord, we keep, we'd realize it's not a one-time deal. It's an ongoing daily practice in our lives. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that you don't give up on us, that you don't turn your back on us, that you don't walk away. When we dismiss in a moment, we'll have prayer partners, just like we did earlier, they scatter around the room. If there's something going on that we can pray with you about, whatever it is, that's what we're here for. That's what we want to do. Whatever it might be in your life. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with you, you don't even know what I mean when I talk about this peace that he gives, why don't you ask one of those prayer parts, say, I'm not sure I know what he's talking about. They'll probably share their own story with you. And just walk with you as far as you want to walk in that. No pressure, no manipulation. Just offering a free gift. That's what Jesus does. He just offers himself. He says, here I am. No manipulation. Here I am. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you do. I pray that we would see your work in us. And not just here in this body, but in the body love like you love. We would endure with one another. There would be patience. There would be humility that produces gentleness. We would maintain that unity of the Spirit all wrapped up in peace. I pray, Lord, you'd help me and help us to pray more than we fuss to seek you more than we seek others and to believe you before we believe anything else but you have to help us 
So we pray this in Jesus' name.